If you have your handouts, there's a couple of verses there that, and, and there are more verses in the scripture, but I thought we could start here with these particular verses. The first comes from Proverbs 22. Of course, Solomon will write both of these books. He has a pretty good handle on um, the reputation of individuals. And he said, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. Now, there's an assumption that can be made, and here is the assumption. Riches are often sought for more than a good name. So, in Solomon's writing, if you use deductive reasoning you'll find the polar opposite of what he is saying. So many people seek for money more than a good name. He writes in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, a good name is better than precious ointment. Of course, some of this could be referred to the apothecary's ointment, which was unique. It was the anointing oil that could not be repeated. Of course, there were other ointments also. Some ointments could be ointment that would be curable or a cures. Uh, something like the balm that came from the wounded trees from Gilead. A good name is better than those things that are both anointment and healing. The day of death more than the day of one's birth. So in that assumption, it is that the day of death is better when a good name is attached to the deceased. So the good name, the assumption is pretty clear. Of course, we could say that some people would rather want the ointment. I could even say anointing or they want some kind of healing than a good name. And some folks don't realize that the day of death is only good and healthy if a good name is attached to it. Or as one story noted that <clears throat> a man died and there was his children and his wife on the front row and, and the preacher was up preaching the funeral. He didn't know the man that had passed away and he was saying all these wonderful things about this man and incredible things and, 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 and the, his, his, his widow there is on the front row and she is, of course, Concerned now at this point as the preacher waxes wonderful about her deceased husband and how what a great man he was, she turned to her son and said, go up there and see if your dad's in that casket. <laughs> Obviously she didn't know if that's that, because whoever the preacher was, he was not describing her husband. The good name is attached in death based upon what you do in life. Everybody wants to have someone say something good about them in death, but really the good name is not... Is not, um, is not given in death, it's given in life. So what is about the name? What is it about the consequence of this name? And names do have consequences. Now, I could spend months talking about good names. I would, I would love to sit here and talk to you about Rachel's uh, grief and how that, it, that she's going to die in childbirth and she wants to name... Her last son, son of my sorrow, except Jacob knows the power of a good name. So he will not allow her to name son of my sorrow. Instead, he changes the name Benjamin, 
We're going to name him Benjamin. We're not going to name him what you... A lot of people give names to their current emotional state. And that's the view that they see life from. But, of course, Jacob understood the power of a name because he struggled with his name all of his life. There is some, and I'm in your handout, some value in the image of of any individual. Your, Your image is important. But the image is often fleeting if it boasts of no substance. So we see this all the time in marketing where people, uh, companies will market a brand, a box, and the box looks so beautiful, but the contents inside are not that great. Similitude is something that resembles some other item. While this might find footing in the idea of exampleship, so maybe it's good to follow someone, it fails in being imitation, so... Similitude fails when it's just imitation. And I just thought I would give this to you. Imitation Apple stores are, are all over China. In fact, in the massive uh, city of Beijing, there's only two actual Apple stores in Beijing. But there's many, many Apple stores. You can buy an Apple phone or iPhone. You can buy all these items. But some of the Chinese don't realize that when they when they write Apple Store, they give it away because the Apple company never writes Apple Store on their, comp- on, their, on their stores. They never put Apple Store. It's just Apple. In fact, their brand dictated many, many years ago, we don't even have to say store. Apple says it all. So anytime you see a, a, company, a store that says app, the Apple Store, you know it's an imitation of the real thing. And of course... The Chinese do some, sometimes they don't always even follow the, the logos. Here, I, I, I showed you a few logos of the Apple products in China. One is an apple that has two bites out of it. And the other one, it looks like a pear, actually. Um, so, you know, they've missed the idea of the fruit. We are known by our names. Our names are then made by the virtue of our actions. Um... There was a young girl in, in our high school, uh, and, and it's, she had a name. And, and her name, I didn't really like her name. Um, and so, I, I'm sorry, I didn't really like her. I didn't feel like she bathed properly. So whenever I hear that name, it, it reminds me of an odor. I've figured out that I've got to be real careful what I say now because several of the high school students have been listening to and watching the live feed. So I don't know who's out there, but if you're out there, I'm not talking about you. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Uh, so I've had people talk to me about baby names and who they want what they, what they want to name their, their, their baby. They don't have a baby name. And somebody will bring up a name and they'll say, oh no, I knew somebody with that name. We were related to somebody with that name. I had a neighbor with that name. Oh, I could never stand calling my baby that name. Of course, does anyone know what I'm talking about? You know, there's, there's certain names. That, and so those names, we are known by our name. Even new life is known. Our, our church is known by our name. New Life Fellowship We have a name, but the name is dictated by our actions. 
The family name, your family name, is your identification. I tell my children, you represent uh, your parents. You don't just run around and do whatever you want to. We've worked hard to have a good name. Don't hurt our good name. So this is not uh, always considered, but it's something that I would like for them to think about when they leave the house or wherever they're going. But I can remember... Uh, my mother and father telling, in fact, my father telling me that on a couple of occasions. Now, remember who you are. You are our son. And so you carry our name. And that is exactly uh, what we want to consider here even tonight. Some names of consequence. And there are a few life questions. I've list, listed eight life questions for you. The first life question, of course, is what name do we want to build? What name does New Life want to build? When I moved here over 19 years ago now, <clears throat> there were a lot of problems with the Pentecostal name all over our county. And not just apostolic Pentecostals, but all kinds of Pentecostal names. Whoever was a Pentecostal, there was some issue with the name Pentecostals. Uh, if you were a Pentecostal, there was other issues attached to that. We aren't the only ones, but many of the churches have attempted to restructure the image of the Pentecostal name. So what name does New Life want to build? What name, when people call your name, what do they think about you? What is it that comes to mind first about you? <clears throat> I think of this just in my own life and, and what I am called to do. Because names are made. They're not just given. They're created over time. And I'll lay this on you, although it's not really what I'm putting on you, but I'll declare what's on you. You are making a name for yourself. Individually, you're making a name for yourself. But the name that you make individually is also the name that we have corporately. So I say this often. The waitress at the restaurant doesn't know this, but she's not getting a 20% tip based upon how good she does. The lady that cuts my hair, whichever one cuts my hair, they're not getting a $5 tip based upon whether or not they have the shakes or they are a remnant or descendant of Edward Scissorhands or they're very good. <clears throat> Even if I walk out bleeding, they're getting the same. And the reason why is because of you and because of this place and because of who we are in Jesus Christ. Someone cut me off today. <clears throat> and um, my car has a wonderful horn that I, that I now really rarely use except if my kids are late and I'm in the garage. Um, so, you know, it was, I don't know why they did it, but they decided that I was going too slow and they didn't like the fact that I was going to turn left. So they went around me and, 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 and I mean, they were on the shoulder and he had a big truck anyway. I guess he was trying to trying out his new four wheeler 
four-wheel drive. So <clears throat> the idea is that the name here, so every time that you stiff someone in business and you don't pay your bill, it reflects on the church. And every time you decide to give someone a piece of your mind at the restaurant or the grocery store or complain, you're building a name for the church. Every time you walk out without smiling or joy, no happiness, no friendliness, you're building a name, not just for yourself, but for the overall body. So I guess the question would be, what kind of name do we want to build? It's a life question. I know people that have a name of being a hard worker, work ethic. They have work ethic. How did you get that? Because you built a name for yourself. There are people that when you say their name, that immediately comes to mind, they gossip. They're always down. They're always low. They're always struggling. They're always up. They're always joyful. Those are givers. Those are sacrificial people. The name that you have right now is what you're building, you're working on. It's made. It's not given to you. Everybody understand that? Maybe. See, names are investments. They take time and they take consideration. Let me just give you a couple other examples of life questions. These are life questions. What master will you serve? That's a life question. Who are you serving? What, who do you say that Jesus is? That's a question you'll have to answer in your life. Who is he to you? Who will you marry? What kind of spouse will you become? What kind of husband are you? What kind of wife are you? Who are you looking for? What is in your vocabulary? That's a life question. How about, what are your personal convictions? Do you have personal convictions? I'm not talking about convictions that you tell everybody about. I'm talking about things you do and don't do based upon what God has spoken to you about. Does anyone understand personal convictions? Convictions that, that the Lord speaks to you that guards your walk with Him. Things that may never be preached about or taught about, but things you learn when you're in prayer with God. And you decide to do something or not to do something because you know I'm susceptible to this pitfall. Or I know that I've got to guard my life. What are your personal convictions? I'm concerned, of course, that people are waiting for me to tell them what's right and wrong before they have a talk with God about their personal life. How about, who has the veto power in your life? Hebrews 13, 17. Who can veto you? Can anyone veto you? Now, everybody loves to raise their hand on that one. Until they're vetoed. Who is your authority? Do you have an authority? Who is the authority? Praise God. Thank you, brother. I'll receive it. How about the last one? Who have you led to Christ? Who have you led to Christ? And that question is where we're heading in this house. So I just want to call out a few characters. And I want to talk tonight a little bit about Three unknown names that do matter. Two names that declare discipleship. And one name that is a powerful example for all believers. Uh, the first, of course, of those three unknown names come from the book of Ruth chapter 1. 
and I'll read it for you. And this first portion comes from the King James Bible. Now it came to pass in the days when judges, when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. A certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. Now this is the telling verse of where they went. And it's gruesome. In fact, it's an adult conversation. It's a conversation that began much like the conclusion, their conclusion of, of how Moab came about is the same commencement of how, first, how, how Ruth 1 and 1 is written. Lot leaves his uncle and he moves into wicked cities called Sodom and Gomorrah. And he is a vexed man. Every day he becomes more calloused to the debauchery of Sodom. Sodom is going to host a majority of homosexual activity. And two men, two angels appear because of Adam's, because of Abraham's prayer, excuse me. And they compel them to leave. And Lot knows that they are angels, but the men of the city want to abuse the men in a perverted way. And Lot, in his vexed state, offers the men of the city that are clamoring, knocking on the door, he offers those men his two virgin daughters. And they reject the virgin daughters, but still want the angels, the men that have appeared there. The angels then temporarily blind those men and leads Lot, his wife, and his two daughters out of the city. They're running out of the city. They're told not to look back or they will turn into a pillar of salt. They get to a small city called Zoar, though the angels wanted them to go to the mountain and hide in the mountain. Lot refused the mountain and said, Zoar is far enough. And Lot's wife turns back to longingly look at where she came from because she is also vexed. She turns into a pillar of salt and the best thing that Lot can do is rub his hand upon the abrasiveness of what once was his wife. His daughters now are, are left with, with Lot. The angels are gone and they now fear that they'll never marry a man and have children. They are virgins. But now we find out that just because you're a virgin does not mean you're pure. They will get their father drunk and sleep with their father in an ancestral relationship. Both of them will become pregnant and both of them will have sons that become arch enemies of Israel, Edom, and Moab. Now Moab is the result, the Moabites are the result of this horrible affair that took place. And so now we have a man, Elimelech, who decides to leave Judah to live in Moab. And he does that because there's a famine in the land. Verse 2, his name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi, the two sons, Malon and Chilion. 
They're Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. They came into the country of Moab and they live there. Elimelech dies. Naomi is left. Her two sons also die. They had taken wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah. No relation to Oprah. And the name of the other was Ruth. And they dwelled there ten years. But they died. And now the three women are left. And they are widows. Verse 8. Naomi says to her daughters-in-law, go back. May the Lord show kindness. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the home of another husband. I want you to get remarried. She kissed them. She weeps. They said, we'll go back with you to your people. She said, no, return home. Go back to Moab. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons? No. Return home, my daughters, verse 12. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? No, we're never going to be, com- we're never going to be attached like this again. Verse 14. At this they all wept. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, left. But Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and, and her gods go back with her. Verse 16, Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I'll die. I'll be buried there. May the Lord deal with me ever so severely. If anything but death separates you and me. There's, this is a powerful, this is a powerful uh, speech. It's a, it's a heartfelt Something is happening here. So I bring to you a couple of thoughts from, from these scriptures of these people. The first is Elimelech, Malon, and Chilean. Think of the flaws of Elimelech. He chose finances over faith. This is a dangerous thing. It's what many men have done in their lives. They've left good churches, good cities... Because they could get a little bit better job in another city with no church. They displaced their families because of a job. Moved their families into another city where their kids never became acclimated with the new church. And consequently, because now I'm 51, I can see it. I didn't know this when I was 20. But now after these many years, I have a repertoire of examples. And their children never became acclimated and fell out with God. It'd be better for you to make less money and be in a good church. Of course, this always works if you have a job. What about a famine? What, when, what happens when the famine takes place? What happens when you are down? What happens when you're struggling? This is, this is an issue here that, that almost gripped the life of Isaac when there was a famine in the land and he was going to leave his land of promise and God commanded him to remain in Gahar. He wanted to leave, but God said, no, you're going to stay right in Gahar. You worked through the famine, and God blessed him in the famine. So this is the danger here. It's, it's what happened in the life of this man. Uh, do I, do, did I have this on your handout? Did I have this on your handout? The flaws of Elimelech? Okay, here it is. I'm, somewhere I've missed it in my handout. The flaws of Elimelech. And so... Here he is. He's got these 
major issues. Then there's a philosophy of the family. And that the family can maintain spiritual disciplines in any place. Let me just tell you, God puts you where you need to be. Don't get the idea. Don't become so arrogant to think that you can live for the Lord and maintain what you have right here anywhere in the world. You have no idea what's in the world. You have no idea what what spirits and what trouble. God knows what he's doing. An individual came to me many, many years ago and said, it doesn't matter where I, where I go to church. It doesn't matter where I live. I can live for God anywhere. Well, come to find out, there were some new pressures that he wasn't accustomed to. Of course, there's other things in other parts of the world. <laughs> Even in this United States. When I speak to some of our ministers that pastor in San Francisco, they tell me of the spirit world that exists in San Francisco. It's incredible what happens there. We, we have no idea what's taking place in other areas. We do not know. We don't, we don't regularly see this every church service. When, when a man walks in, but he's really a woman. Or a woman walks in and she's really a man. But she's had so much surgery that you don't know the difference. We, we're still kind of cloaked here a little bit. Not, it's coming in full, full force. But we're still in Terre Haute, Indiana, the middle of America. We don't, we don't have any idea what that is. Oh, man. Well, we're just this philosophy. And what, what happens is it becomes an affront to spiritual authority because we have this idea, this philosophy. I can do whatever I want to. I can still live for God. I don't even have to go to church. I can just read my Bible. I can maintain all of this. Really? Be careful. It's a flaw of Elimelech. Number three is the failure to see ahead. It's short-sightedness. Uh, uh, Sister Tammy and I have done this on many occasions where we try to guide people. I don't know how well we're doing. We, we often feel like we haven't done everything we should have done or could have done. Or, but from time to time... We've tried to guide people away from certain places or certain decisions or certain dispositions. And then when it came about that our greatest fears were realized, we go back to the statements that were made, the things, the decisions that were made. And I don't know that I always have it. I'm not telling you that I always can see the future. But sometimes spiritual intuition tells me you're headed down a bad road and if you keep going down that road, you'll not only lose out with God, but you'll hurt other people in the, in the process. Those words have come out of my mouth several times in my life. And sure enough, that road, unfortunately, if, it, if you continue on certain roads, that path. Dr. Hughes has taught us for many years and has spent time with me not to, not to necessarily judge the people that are sitting in the office but just to let them know where they're going where that leads to where that leads the road that you're on where does it lead short-sightedness you can't really see far away and this is the, the, the failure of Elimelech is that he couldn't see very far he didn't look and say you know I've got some boys that are growing up and a few years from now they're going to be looking for some wives they're going to want to get married 
They're, they're not going to want to be single forever. So I wonder what the best place for me to raise, where is the best place for me to raise those boys? Well, surely it was not in Moab. Because if you're living in Moab, you're probably going to be around Moabite women. One of the elderly ladies in our church used to pray against all the Philistine women in my life. She'd lay hands on me and say, I'm going to rebuke all these Philistine women. I never saw Philistine women. I started looking for them after she prayed for me. <laughs> Let's talk about the two sons, Melon and Chilion. The normalization of these men. They took wives from the arch enemies of Israel. Now, now this in itself created a name for them. And they're listed in the Holy Scripture. Can you imagine that their call out in the Scripture is that they took a relationship from people who did not love God, knew nothing about God. That was their claim to fame. And both failed to lead their, their wives in the law of the Lord. Both Elimelech and his two sons. And, and their wives knew really nothing about the Lord. They didn't know about Israel. In fact, we're going to find out through the leadership of Naomi what she will do with her daughter-in-law that stayed with her. She couldn't dissuade Ruth to leave her. She couldn't persuade Ruth to go back to Moab. Ruth was not concerned about finding another husband among her own people. She was more concerned about being with Naomi. Now that is a special individual. Naomi, though the book is written entitled Ruth, I often wonder how powerful Naomi was. Because without Naomi, there is no Ruth. Ruth, Ruth is the example for the whole church. Ruth. Here is the leadership of, of Naomi. There's adherence based on love and kindness. The leadership of Naomi is that there's guidance in the customs of Israel. All of these things are happening for Ruth. Naomi's leadership entails leadership through exampling of the Jewish faith. She loved her into the Jewish faith. Let me just make this really simple. Before anyone really ever becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, they need to become a follower of you. You can bring people to the church and they'll leave the church. But if you bring people into your lives and you love them, they'll love the God you serve. I often say this in baby, dedication, baby dedications, but let me just say it among all the people here. We, what we need in this house is a place full of Naomi's who will love people to themselves. And when you love them enough and show enough kindness, they'll adopt whatever pathway you, you give. Um, in Liberia, 
the Muslims have invested in, in different parts up to $3 million in these very poor cities. And what they've done is they started by building small buildings and then larger buildings where they do education, just typical normal education, and where they give out food and clothes. And the young men in Liberia are so, uh, they're so thankful for the food, the clothing, and the teaching that whatever is taught them in a religious setting they adopt and so this couple million dollars here and couple million dollars there in this country has garnished a massive amount of muslim men and of course then then young ladies join and so now by virtue of kindness they are converting thousands and thousands of liberians it's not because everyone wanted to be a muslim it's because they were kind and when they were kind and they were generous, they had the, 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 the unsuspecting young man and young woman joined whatever faith that flowed from the kindness and the generosity. We get it backwards a lot. We think people need to be baptized in Jesus' name. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. No, they don't. They need to be baptized with your kindness. If, if you show them love, you'll lead them into you from from you, that you'll lead them into here. From here, you'll lead them into there. But if we want to just get them into here, then there's nothing to attach them to him. And Naomi attached her, Ruth attached herself to Naomi because Naomi had much love and kindness. It's, and it's so apparent that Ruth didn't know who her God was. That Naomi said, go back to your gods. And Ruth said, listen, I don't care about my gods. I care about you. And whatever God you serve, I'll serve that God. If it's the cow God, if it's the sheep God, if it's the parakeet God, if it's a wooden God, if it's the sun God, I'll just serve whatever God you serve because I love you. Can you imagine if we loved people and were kind to people so much that they would attach themselves to us and then we said, now listen, I believe in the Holy Ghost. That's great. I'll, I'll get that too. I'd like to have some of that. Why would, why would people want to join new life? They, why would someone want to come into the apostolic faith? Why would anyone want to be a Pentecostal in Terre Haute? There's a lot of churches. There's a whole kinds of churches. In fact, there are churches where you come to church and then you afterwards you go back and you, you go to a house and you drink and you get drunk. And it's okay. Because the deacons and the elders and the ministers and the Sunday school teachers are all drinking with you. It's all right. Why would anyone want to change that if you really like your beer or whatever you drink? Why would you want to come here when you've got this preacher preaching against alcohol? Why would you want to come here when you have a preacher talking about family and structure and disciplines and holiness and, 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 and against adultery and fornication when you can go somewhere else and, and it's, these are feel good sermons and you, 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 you get to hear chicken soup for the soul or like my friend said, chicken poop for the soul, S-O-L-E. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that word. Oh, it's bad. Why? I'll tell you why. Because they fell in love with you before they fell in love with this. I don't think, the, I don't think this Pentecostal church in our world, I don't think the United States apostolic Pentecostal churches really believe this. We, what we want to do is hear preaching and what we want to hear is we want to hear miracle signs and wonders. What we don't understand is 
how to be normal, a normal person with kindness in a normal world, in in an abnormal world. The leadership of Naomi, Ruth adheres to whatever Naomi has to offer based upon Naomi's disposition. She accepts the customs of Israel. Ruth doesn't know how, how to respond to a man. Naomi tells her, okay, you go in there, you lay at his feet, you take the blanket, you put part of the blanket while he's sleeping over your feet and over his feet. Now, I'll let you go figure all that stuff out, but that's what Boaz liked her, and it's like a little reciprocating courtship thing. She doesn't know any of that kind of stuff. And it's Naomi who's telling her what to do. Leadership, because she was exampling her faith, her Hebrew root was coming out. Naomi. Naomi was, and I'll use this term very loosely, she was winning Ruth to the faith. Not through the law of the Lord, but through her own love and kindness. I need that. I want to talk about one man of incredible consequence, of, of a man who, who speaks volumes of a scripture. His name is Barnabas. His name is Barnabas. His nickname in our vernacular is the son of encouragement. That's his nickname. Wouldn't you love your nickname to be the son of encouragement? Here comes that encourager guy. You can't hardly sneer at that. You know. If your nickname, that's not how he was born. He was Joseph by birth, but he was Barnabas by investment. Whatever way you start by birth, you can change your name by the investment you make in other people. Whatever environment that you started with, if you were rejected, abused, if you had all kinds of family issues, if you've come from broken homes or addicted lifestyles, you can change your name by the investment you make in other people. And this is the story of Barnabas. Now here are a few attributes of Barnabas. One of which is that, of course, he made investments of many people. Secondly, he has a legacy of leadership. And where does that come from? Because when the early church started they needed funds and Barnabas is the first man to be named as giving a sacrificial offering he laid it at the feet of the apostles Barnabas did this is just part of his lifestyle he is an investor in the things of God and in the people of God and when Saul who would later become Paul who would write at least 13 epistles of your Bible who became the most profound teacher, who had three journeys and started possibly hundreds and hundreds of churches, who was the leading voice for all of the early church, and now all of our churches adhere to the book of Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, all of these scriptures that Paul gave to us, all the things that he did in the book of Acts. Who was it that nurtured Paul to become the man he was. It was Barnabas. Everyone else was skeptical of Barnabas, I mean of Saul, because he had been 
persecuting them. He had a reputation as the man who held the coats of those people who stoned Stephen. Here, let me, let me help you with your coat so you can pick up larger rocks and kill this man named Stephen. He oversaw the persecution of the church. He was the persecutor of the early church. And he got letters from the leaders in Antioch to, cope, to go persecute more people in Damascus. And in Damascus, there was an unsuspecting group of people that were going to be persecuted by the hands of Saul. And he journeyed to Damascus, and that's when the Lord stopped his path. And a light shined from heaven, and he fell to the ground, and he looked up, and here's the revelation of the mighty God in Christ. He looked up, and he said, Who art thou, Lord L, capital L, Jehovah? Who art thou, Jehovah? And a voice came from heaven and said, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. Who is Jehovah? Well, Saul found out on the road to Damascus, I am Jesus, whom you persecuted. Anyone know, want to know who Jehovah is? His name is Jesus. That's, that's what the Bible says. And his eyes are blinded. There's scales on his eyes. The spirit goes ahead to a priest that believes his name is Ananias. And, 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 and he says, accept him, bring him in, baptize him. Ananias teaches him, baptizing him. And he said, here, I'm going to baptize you. You need to be baptized. The Bible says, washing away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. He comes up, scales fall from his eyes, but his name is still Saul. And the leaders in Jerusalem, the apostles in Jerusalem, who have suffered this persecution, who knows how many families have been displaced, who knows how many husbands and mothers and wives and children have suffered at the hands of the cruel wickedness of Saul, who was zealous for the things of God, who thought he was doing well until, until the Lord spoke to him and said, Why are you persecuting me? It's hard to kick against the pricks. It's hard to do this. You, you're not going to succeed. This is my church. And now he's going to be converted. And who brings him in? It's Barnabas that teaches him. It's Barnabas that lends his personal integrity to Saul. Barnabas is lending his personal integrity to Saul. Barnabas saying he's okay. Well, I don't know about that Barnabas. You know, he, he's a bad guy. He's got a horrible reputation. Here's my integrity. He can stand on my integrity. This is Barnabas who's offering... A place to a man with a bad reputation. Let me tell you about that. That's love and kindness. See, the Bible says love covers a multitude of his friends, his associates' sins. This is what love does. It just blankets all that. It doesn't make an excuse it's not making excuses. It's not condoning, but it covers us. And for a year, Barnabas teaches Saul. He, he helps Saul. And the narrative is going to switch from Saul to Paul. It's always Barnabas and Saul, Barnabas and Saul. But something happens in Luke's writing when he writes the book of Acts. Something happens. Saul becomes Paul and the narrative switches. And it goes from Saul to Paul. And now the order has changed. From Barnabas and Saul to Paul and Barnabas. I wrote this to several of the leaders in the church and I talked about the stage. I've been to a couple of, probably some of you have been to many more than, than I have. I, I love going to the Broadway shows. I've been to a couple in Bloomington, but New York City is a cool place to go to to see the Broadway shows. My memory escapes me now how many people it takes for every one actor. A 
for every one actor, it's, it's, uh, there's multiple different people per actor. There's, there's stage design, there's cleanup, there's script, there's managers, there's costume uh, uh, personnel, there's, there's, all, there's attendance at the door. For every one actor on the stage, there's many, many people that support that one actor. And the actor has to be right on because it's live. You, you can't go back and edit. You can't say, oh, uh, what's my line? <laughs> no one's on the front row like in the children's Christmas program. For unto us. For unto us. No one's whispering that. They've rehearsed it. And, and all the attention is given to the actor. Everyone's clapping. No one's clapping for the guy who's running the sound. No one's clapping for the, for the one guy over there that, that pushes a couple buttons and the light goes on and off and he moves with the light. No one cares about him. They only care about him if the light's not shining. No one, because the stage... What the actress is standing on is held up by a host of different people. Everybody would like to be the vocalist, the lead, but not everybody wants to be the stage that stood on. But here's Barnabas. He is the stage. Here is a sinner saved by grace and needs space and time to develop and grow. (laughs) Are you ready now? Everybody ready for me? Sister Tammy walked around the church a few Sunday nights ago and counted four guests in our church on Sunday night. She walked around another night and counted seven guests in our church. And I'm here to tell you that's far too few guests at New Life. We cannot have ten people baptized in Jesus' name on Sunday if only two people need to be baptized. We will never have ten people receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit If there's no one here that needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if no one is here that needs to be baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit. Then what we've done is effectively have church for ourselves. And it leads me to this point. We got to have a Naomi and we got to have a Barnabas. We got to have a name. And the name is not we're tongue talkers. The name is not we're holy rollers. I don't care if people call us names. The name is not, oh, well, you, you're, you're that church. No, no, the name is kindness. It's love. It's embracing. It's friendship. Everyone say friendship. Here is the incredible description of Barnabas. Even when Barnabas and Paul had an argument because of John Mark. John Mark was immature. He, he was a mama's boy. He was growing up. What did Barnabas do? He said, Paul, I'll take John Mark. And Barnabas said, well, I'll pick up Silas. We'll go on. And Barnabas said, you you are mature. You go, I'll nurture John Mark. Barnabas was always, when he split from Paul, he took up John Mark. And he nurtured John Mark until Paul finally wrote back and said, and bring John with you because he's profitable unto me. Who made John Mark profitable to Paul? Barnabas. Barnabas made him profitable. Barnabas. I'm looking for people who don't mind to be the stage. Who don't mind to hold the light. Who don't mind to, 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 to make the costume. I'm looking for a church that loves people so they are prosperous. You're going to hear me. I'm going to sound like a broken record. I'd love to get up and just preach Acts 2.38. To people who don't know Acts 2.38. But I promise you, 
If I preach Acts 2.38 every Sunday night from now until the end of the year, there's a lot of folks who would say, I think pastor needs to get some new material. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm, I'm thinking of Mitch Sayers tonight, who's in Germany. And Germany is a, is a, is a country with, with a lot of money. Germany has a lot of money. It has a lot of jobs. Everybody has jobs. It is, it is flowing with tons of money. In fact, Germany is the country that they're, the austerity measure, measures that's been given to Greece, if, 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 you, if you're studying the, the EU, uh, Germany is the one who's been giving all these measures off to Greece and to Spain. They're the ones that are holding up a lot of these other European countries with their massive debt. Germany has been doing that. And Germany has a lot of power because of it, because people owe Germany their money. And Germany... Not only do they make cars, but they make all kinds of items in Germany. And no one needs Jesus in Germany like they need Jesus in the Congo. No one needs Jesus in Germany like they need Jesus in the Philippines. Or in Ethiopia. Or countries that are third world countries. Or ruled by dictatorship. Or when you can't get enough bread or food or water like the people that are struggling in Venezuela right now here today. Germany, you don't, they don't need God. See, we can get people when they're at their lowest point. But in Germany, no one really is at their lowest point. So Mitch Sayers has got a task. Because there are no food pantries needed in Germany. There's no outreach centers needed in Germany. Everything's already provided by the government in Germany. So what does he do to win people, to try to find somebody? He takes his, his acoustic guitar and stands on a corner and plays songs in German about Jesus until somebody, maybe thousands pass by him until somebody stops and says, tell me about this, Jesus. Because no one even knows who Jesus was. They never even heard his name. And his whole thought is, as a missionary to Germany, is all I want to do is make a friend, sing a song, play my guitar. I'll entertain them until I can invite them to my apartment. See, Barnabas, when he came, he saw the grace of God. He was glad. He, he said, keep doing what you're doing. Because he was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of faith. He had a great many people were added to the Lord. Why? Because he kept encouraging them. He was the platform. And after his arrival, the Bible tells us Barnabas sought out Saul to help him with the work. Here's another attribute of Barnabas. He was absent of a few things. I can't list them all, but he was absent of jealousy. He was absent. He wasn't jealous that someone else was going to become greater than him. He wasn't jealous that someone was going to outshine him. He wasn't. My father has often said, I want my boys, I want my daughter, I want them to progress farther than me. I want them to do more than me. Dad never thought that his work was so that we could just maybe measure up to what he had done. He felt like it was a platform for us to launch. Um, I want that with my four children. I want them to launch. I want them to be truer, kinder, more balanced, with more wisdom. I'm, I'm praying that all four of them, and I pray for your children, they would be more powerful. They would have gifts of the Spirit that I don't have. They'd have intuition, spiritual intuition, that they would, they would have sacrifice. They would be able to have such faith they could lay hands on people. Is that not what we want for our children for the next generation? 
He was absent of this spirit of, 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 of comparison, of jealousy. Barnabas, Barnabas was okay with Paul rising to the forefront. So in the house, we need to have friends. In our house, in our daily livings, we need, we need to have a friend. I'm very grateful that everyone calls me pastor. I'm thankful. I, I, think, I think we need to be respectful of the position. I really do. I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about children who use um, uh, uh, ministers' first names. I, I, I'm, I'm concerned about that. I've, I've heard that. I've seen that. It doesn't, I don't like that. Um, even in our home, we're, we're struggling a little bit with, with some commonality. And we often say to our kids, you can call them uncle or aunt or miss or brother or sister. We'd rather you not call them by, don't call that person by their first name. Of course, Sister Mary Fell is one name, M-A-R-Y-F-E-L-L. There's no space in between. There should be a space, Sister Fell, but, but just Sister Mary Fell. So I would just say, you know, I, I appreciate that about the church. But I'm looking for a friend who doesn't know that I'm a pastor. I'm looking for somebody in my life, and I, I've got a guy. <laughs> i got a guy. He's struggling. He needs help. So I've, I've been talking to him. His marriage is on the rocks, and, and um, he's a professional guy, but his mother calls me. And she says, Jeff, I really think you could do good. Now, you know, we're Catholic, but I, re- I think you could do good if you'll spend some time with my son. I said, oh, good. I'm so glad. So I'm getting to talk to him on repeated occasions. He doesn't call me pastor. He doesn't, he doesn't know. We're just, we're just friends. How about go make a friend tonight? How about be a friend? How do you be a friend? Be kind. Smile at people. I've often told the story about the two ladies. I was evangelizing. I was, I was out somewhere. I can't even remember where it was now, but we were in the, I was in the grocery store buying something. And there was two Pentecostal women, and they were walking around the aisles, and they were mean, and they were angry. And they were, of course, you know, by their lifestyle, they were saying they'd found a new life. Hey, man, if that's a new life, I'd rather have my old one. You put on Jesus Christ. Paul said you're an epistle read of all men. You're a book. Everybody's reading you. You are your own personal sitcom and everyone gets to watch you every day. Probably the greatest perception you could ever have is (laughs) self-perception. Oh. I'm, I'm, I'm desperate for the church to go make a friend. See, if you make a friend and just be kind to someone and love them, Brother, Brother Gleason... I've been with Brother Gleason a lot in the last year and a half, and he's telling me about his neighbor. He said, you know, my neighbor doesn't even know how good of a guy I really am. And he said, I've got this other guy I've been working on. He's a waiter at a restaurant. I met the guy. He's a waiter at a restaurant, an incredible Mexican restaurant. It's just phenomenal there in Kansas City. And he said, I just, I, I didn't invite him to church. I taught him a Bible study for over a year and in my home. And the Bible studies, he said, I would just drag them out as long as I could. Just as long as I could. And most of the time, we'd even talk scripture. Just a little bit of scripture. Because he just wanted to tell me about his life. Can you imagine if we all made a friend? Now, you're going to tell me, well, I'm not, I, 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 I'm not outgoing. 
Well, you got out here tonight. You're going out. I've, I've heard a lot of people say they're not out going. I see them going out all every Friday. They're going out. Kindness doesn't cost you anything. Kindness, friendship doesn't cost the church anything. I want to know who's going to make a friend. We, well, I'll make a friend. I'm, we'll make a friend that knows your name and then invite them into your home. And then if you say, well, my home is not very nice, well, just remember about our missionary, Mitch Sayers. They, we don't have enough money to get him a really nice home. But he does have a, a little meager apartment. And he invites people into his meager apartment where there's a little table and a small kitchen. And a little bread and some coffee and some cheese. And there's fellowship. There's fellowship. And if you start reading the bulletins, you're going to hear this over and over. What is Acts 5? What is Acts 2? There's something in common with those two chapters. The early church went to the temple and from house to house. They were in the temple and they were house to house. I'm afraid that we've made the house the only place where we are ministering to people. This cannot be the only place. If this is the only place where we want to bring people, we're all we're going to be stuck with one or two guests that are not really a part of the church. When really, there should be enough for us to have 50 or 60 new people that don't know about the Lord in this house. I say to everybody, make a friend. I want to put out this, I'm, I'm laying this out for someone. Find a row and name that row your family row, your friend row, and fill it up with your friends, people that don't know God. And the only way they'll stay in your row is if they're in your house. Well, my house is kind of chaotic. Yeah, so is ours. We got four kids and a dog. And the dog is excited about people. And sometimes she gets too excited. And if we put her outside, then she goes crazy. Then we bring her in, and we bring her out, and then we give her good girl treats. And that's the problem with our dog. <laughs> if you're waiting for your, and I hope your house is in order, but even if it's not in order, my mother taught the best Bible studies I ever heard when there was a, when there was a laundry basket on the table. And she's folding the socks, the t-shirts, and the underwear while she's teaching the scripture. Many of our converts in our church, and I, if, if, I, I don't know where Sister Huttiger is, but I think Sister Huttiger could attest to that, that Sister Huttiger would often come over and mom would have something cooking on the stove and folding the laundry on the table and would be teaching the Bible study and discipling at the table. Stop thinking that everything has to be in order or that you have to know more. You know more about God than most preachers and most denominational churches. You've heard more word, and pardon me for this analogy, but we are, we are very heavy on the scripture. And we're light, very skinny, on action of the scripture. In fact, when, when denominational people come and, and, and they, they, they get in the church, something, it, it clicks with them. Oh my goodness, I didn't even know that was in the Bible. I didn't know that was in the Bible. Oh, oh wow. Then as we started going along and along, many people have said, my church never taught me. We never heard the scripture. We didn't even know that was in the Bible. And over and over and over again. And then they feel a little withdrawn, like maybe they've missed something. They have missed something, but they're getting it back. Hear me. You know more about the Bible than most people in the world. Most of the seven billion of people in the world don't know a, a tenth of what you know. All you have to do is be kind and friendly. You don't have to 
exegete scripture. You don't have to tell them everything about the Bible. All you have to do is love them and they'll love you. And once they fall in love with you, they'll take whatever God you're given. If you're giving them God of stone or, or Jehovah Jireh, they'll take whatever you're given. Well, I'm not, I'm not an outgoing person. You, you are called to be outgoing. You're called. You have been filled with the Holy Ghost, and the Holy Ghost was not your fire insurance just to keep you out of hell. The Holy Ghost was to give you power to be a witness. The Holy Ghost, and you've got to break out of yourself and say, I'm not going to be selfish. When I hear people say, well, I'm just not outgoing, and I just can't talk to people, most of the time that's just more pride that rises up because we don't want to make a mistake. Go ahead and make a mistake. Your mistake, at least you're making an effort. I'd rather you make a mistake in making a friend than never want to make a mistake and have no friends and lead no one to Jesus Christ. God forbid that you would be in this church all of your life and you never would ever baptize anyone yourself because you have no disciple. Everyone in this church ought to be able to baptize their own disciple, at least one disciple during the course of your life. We had a thing in our organization, the minister's organization, about launch your ministry. And all these men are getting their licenses and, and they're, they're, they're becoming licensed preachers. And not just preachers, but licensed preachers. And they're paying dues. I, okay, that's good. But I was with a host of ministers and I'm talking about revival. And I'm talking about discipleship. And, and I said, but we have one problem. We've got men preaching sermons who have never taught a Bible study. I don't want to know what you know. I want to know what you did. I'm tired of hearing theorists. I want to hear a practitioner. A practitioner tells me what they're doing. A theorist tells me a book report. Preaching the Bible without and teaching the Bible without a disciple is a book report. Telling people how to cast out a devil, but you never laid hands on anybody and no devil's ever come. That's a book report. We cannot have a book report. We've got to have a church full of practitioners. How are we doing? Aren't you happy you came to Wednesday night Bible study? This is Bible study. I'm looking for a Naomi. I'm looking for a Barnabas. I'm looking for someone who'd be a platform. I'm looking for someone who would just ooze with love and ooze with kindness and ooze with forgiveness and ooze with compassion. I'm looking for people who would bake a pie and bring it over to their neighbor for no reason. Hey, I just, I just thought you might like this. I'm looking for someone who would share. I'm looking for someone who would be kind at a job and just love people and invite them into their home and into their life. You can do it. It doesn't matter what age you are. Sister Mary Fellas told me many times, she calls people on the phone. She's given me a list of people she's called. She's actually sent me to places. <laughs> I always joke around. It's not true, Sister Mary Fell. It's not true. But I always joked around for many years and said, if she, always, if she ever thought that I didn't have enough to do, she'd make sure that I had a list of things that I could do on Monday. It probably is true, isn't it? Let me give you seven keys to a good name. Because I want your name to be the name of a disciple maker. And this is how you get there. The first part of that is selfless. That's when, become, that's when life becomes less about self. It becomes more about others. You become selfless. It's not about me. Everyone say it. It's not about me. Say it. It's not about me. 
I hope it doesn't matter what we sing on Sunday, we're going to worship God. It doesn't matter what we sing on Sunday, we're going to worship God. It doesn't matter if it's slow or fast or in between, I'm coming to worship God. Who's coming to worship God? I want everyone not to care what the music's going on. I don't care what beat's going on. I've come to worship God. I'm going to worship Him with the fast songs and the slow songs. I'm going to worship Him with songs I don't like and songs I can't really repeat. And I don't really know how it goes. I'm going to worship God. I've come here to worship God. Who's going to worship God no matter who's preaching in the pulpit? We're going to back up the word. We're going to love the word. It's not about me. Who knows that when you come, no matter where you're sitting in the church, there are people around you that need the Lord around you. It's not about you. You are filled with the Holy Ghost. You're here on Wednesday night. I know that you're part of the church. What you've got to do is understand when you get in here, you are a minister to minister to everybody in this house. Selfless. We're selfless. not about me. It's selfless. I'll tell you how a good example of a selfless person is a mother at midnight. It's a mother at 2 o'clock in the morning. It's a mother at 4 o'clock in the morning. (laughs) That's selfless. It's getting up. It's taking care of the baby. I remember those days. Tammy would wake me up. (laughs) I made a mistake one time. We were with a couple and Roman was just a few months old. And someone said, well, how are you sleeping? And I blurted out as an ignorant Young father. I'm sleeping great. Bad, bad choice of bad timing. <laughs> At that point, Tammy turned to me and said, yes, he is sleeping very nicely. But I'm up every hour. Selfless. Kind. Kind. Well, is it spiritual? Yes, it's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Kind. A heart or disposition of a gentle spirit. Kind. How about just kind? Kind every day. Not just kind when we come to church. Because if we only exercise these things when we're here, it means we are a subculture. That means we know how to operate when we're here, but we don't know how to operate when we leave the building. Here we're good. There we're bad. Here we're holy. There we're, we're revilers. Here we worship, there we scorn. Here we're in unity, there we're in chaos. Here we get, we've got ourselves together, but at home and our jobs and at all the places in the world, we, we are lost and undone, we're hiding, we're afraid. Kind, kind heart. Here's number three, friendship or a friend. Friend, that means to be a friend takes time with them. Time spent. Time spent. I wanted to say spent because it cost you something to be a friend. People on Facebook are probably not your friend because a friend, you look at them in the face. I don't want to go through this, but, but if you get the book, um, I don't know, there's a couple reasons how your phone is changing your life. Is it 10 or 12 reasons? 12 reasons how your phone is changing your life. And, and we're texting, but you know, the problem is there's some, you can't put enough emojis. Emojis are meant to help you with expression that you can't see. I, I don't under, even understand the emojis. That's why I just put a chicken, an Allen wrench, and the flag of Uruguay. You've gotten them. Three chickens is a wonderful, it means, that's awesome. I just sent Scott an Allen wrench, and he texted back, I don't even know what you're talking about, Jeffrey. I said, well... That means I was impatient. <laughs> but if, if you're sitting across the table, there's all these expressions, body language. It helps me. It, it makes me realize, ooh, I've said the wrong thing. Or it, it puts a filter on my mouth. Or, or it gives me a level of compassion because my friend, I can see they're going through hurt. 
When I ask them how you're doing, and my friend says, I'm doing okay, but I can see it in their spirit and their face, and I can feel it. They're not doing okay. I can't get that same feeling when I'm texting them, and they're saying, I'm okay, and then praying hands. I don't really know praying hands. Two praying hands, intercede. Three, go to the church right now. (laughs) I don't know. Somebody's texting me and every sentence had an emoji. I, I, I just stopped reading it. <laughs> Somebody sent me an emoji had a bunch of hearts on it. I thought, that's kind of forward. <laughs> it's not even Valentine's Day. Friend, it's time spent. To be a friend, you need to spend time. This is one of the reasons why we have pastor's luncheon. Because I don't have enough time for us to be friends. I don't have time for that. If we're right here and and we got two seconds or two minutes to talk, we don't have enough time. People come in, they don't have enough time. I don't have enough time. New people come in, I'm trying to get to them and to greet them and to love on them. I don't have enough time. That's why I do pastor's luncheon. Because whoever is at our table, pastor's luncheon, I want to sit there with them and talk to them about their life. And everybody that I've gotten to sit with, I've got to learn something about them that I couldn't learn at the altar or at the pew or in the foyer. And the best learning I ever did was when they were in my home at our table or I was with them in their home at their table. I learned Jeff and Casey, Brother Coach Farr, And all the kids, when I went to their home, every week went to their home, went to their home, went to their home, sat down, sat down with the Bible and started teaching. And I, I could feel, I could, I can go this far, but I didn't want to go too far. Then I, then we'd come with a little more doctrine and then pull back and then a little bit more. And then all of a sudden the Holy Ghost fell. I could see tears welling up in their eyes and I realized we're making an impact. We're making an impact. Something so good. It's happening right here and I'm spending time. Just friendship, spending time with them. If you want a good name as a church, spend time. You can have a friend, just spend time. You don't have to have the answers. Even the Boys and Girls Club and and, and those other, uh, a big brother, they don't, they tell you, you don't even have have to have all the answers. All you have to be is available. You know what people want in a father? They don't want a father. A good father is not a father that makes a lot of money. A good father is not a father that spends a lot of money. A good father is not a father that takes him on vacation. A good father is there. If you want to be a good father, be there. If you want to be a good friend, just be there. And what's happened is we've relied so much on the wonderful move of God, we think... As some people have said, if we can just get them into the church, they'll change your life. Probably not. If we'll get them into your home and into your, to your life and to your kitchen, it'll change their life. I want to I wanted denounce something right now. Put it out on the table. Many, many years ago, when I first came here, someone brought a friend, a, a, a person to church. It wasn't their friend. It was bought a person to church. And they said, I brought somebody to church. Now I'm giving them to you. It's your, here's your job. What? Well, did you did you ever talk? Yep, took him out to lunch. But I brought him to church. Now it's your job. No, it's not. It's not my job. I'm preaching the word. You know who they are. You just spend an hour with them at lunch. Now you go back after I preach and you tell them what the sermon was about. Man, if we have tongues interpretation in the church or someone starts running around and your friend is with you, 
You need to immediately realize, I got to do some damage control. Oh, no. Yeah, spirit got moving on Sunday night. And I always think, I wonder if there's anybody new here that never seen anybody run around the church. Speak in tongues. Cock their head back. What if our guest has a bobby pin coming their way? I'll tell you how they're going to come back. It's if they have been, I feel the Holy Ghost. If they have been with you, if you've been a Barnabas enough to take them in, they're going to say, I don't know what that was, but I love you so much. I want whatever they've got. I want whatever you've got. Here's the next one. Servanthood. That's serving people. And I didn't write it out for you, but you can. With humility and joy. Because serving people, if it's a, if it's a drudgery for you, you're not serving. Grudging compliance is not obedience. And grudgingly helping people is not servanthood. But servanthood is with humility and joy. I'm so glad I get to do this. I heard someone, when we were at a dinner here at our church, one of the folks was serving me and I sat down, didn't even ask for it, but they knew what I wanted to drink and brought it right away. And I said, I am so, how did you know, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that you did that. And they said, it's such a joy to be able to do that. And I thought, that is servanthood. Servanthood. See, servanthood is when you wash someone's feet. Now, we may not do that literally, but we can wash people's feet every day. That means you are bending down to help someone else out who didn't ask for it. You're wiping off the junk of their life. You're encouraging them. And sometimes we think that we have to see eye to eye to get along. No, we need, no, no, we need to see eye to foot. You see eye to eye, you're never going to agree. You're never going to get along. When you see eye to foot, you start serving people. Start serving people that don't attend the church. Start serving people that do attend the church and you'll make a friend. Friendship will get you farther because you'll get to know them. It'll get you farther than what you actually know in your brain. Because whether you like it or not, most people get jobs by relationships. All right, let's move on. I'm almost done. Number five is conviction. Here's seven keys to a good name. How about conviction? What is your conviction? What are your convictions in your life? Let me just describe this. It's, it's keeping beliefs as the guide point of all of our conversations and our conduct. You can make a friend without sacrificing your convictions. Don't sacrifice your convictions or change your conduct to make a friend. Because a friend wants you to be who you are. They don't want you to change who you are. To go to their level. Keep your convictions. Remember, this name of this church should be the most friendly, kind, and loving church in this whole area. Let's work on it. Number six is character. I'm sorry that I didn't give all these definitions. I should have given them to you on your handout. Do you have them on your handout? Praise God. Well, then I take back that apology. I'm not sorry. It's (laughs) It's doing what is right when it's not popular or when no one knows. Character is always doing what's right 
If you're only doing what's right when people are watching you, you got poor character. And finally, it's sacrificial. It's giving of yourself in a way that leaves you with less than what you started. You're depleted. Sacrificial. That's a good name. I want us to have a good name. I'm looking for a Naomi. I'm looking for a Barnabas.